spring is in the air at Global Voice Broadcasting. Fresh new shows are hitting the airwaves every day. Shows about all the things that matter to you in your life. Music, fashion, celebs, and more. It's all here, and it's getting better every day. Only at Global Voice Broadcasting. My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin. A spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Did you know that one in four adults in the U.S. are currently dieting? Interesting, right? Restrictive diets can bring all sorts of risks, and they often serve as sort of a band-aid. We struggle with deeper issues, and somehow attempting to change our shape and size or controlling what we eat seems like this ideal fix. But is it really? I'm sure many of you right now are shaking your heads and thinking, of course not. But knowing and really grasping and living by this knowledge are completely different things. Trust me, the latter took me a long time to figure out. To be clear, healthy lifestyle shifts can be so awesome and super, super empowering. And I respect whatever choices y'all make for yourselves. Making informed choices is what matters in my opinion, especially since there's all these complicated reasons that people kind of gravitate toward the different techniques and plans and stuff that they start following, which includes gaining understanding of the bigger picture. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, where good girls go for sexual empowerment. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I'm stoked to be here to explore the topic that's really at the heart of my work, which is embracing our bodies, sexuality, and selves. Later in the show, I will share some signs that your quote-unquote lifestyle plan is a risky diet in disguise. And you'll also hear Dr. Megan's A to a listener's Q on sex positions for a tipped uterus, which apparently is super, super common. But first, I'm so happy to welcome Melissa Toller to the show. Melissa is a writer, speaker, and body image coach. She spent 25 years on the diet roller coaster, losing and gaining the same 20 pounds while hating her body and herself in the process. In 2013, Melissa left her corporate job of 15 years to start her own coaching practice. Her work is all about helping women break free from constant dieting, body hate, and self-loathing so they can discover who they truly are. And I adore her mission, which is to help women live incredible lives without having to change their bodies to do it. Thank you so much for joining me, Melissa, and for the work you do. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me today. You know, I think it's so interesting how, and sad, how early we tend to have negativity around our bodies. Do you remember when the negativity started in your own life? Oh, yes. <laughs> Very clearly. I was 11 years old. It was the summer or yeah, the summer of um, getting my period. And I remember getting on the scale and looking down and seeing 118 pounds. And for whatever reason, I knew that that number was too high. I knew it was I had to do something about it. 
I have no idea how I knew that. I just, I can picture myself in my parents' bathroom looking down at the scale. Mm -hmm. And it was from that point on that I had just embarked on a lifetime quest of fixing my body and fixing myself. Wow. It's amazing how we have those defining moments. And it hurts my heart. You were so young. And I know some girls, it's when they're five. Some, it's when they're 10. And whenever it happens, it's sad. Absolutely. I know a lot of women who have had it happen to them when they're five or six or eight when they've started their first diet. And, you know, it's really difficult to change that mindset when that has been part of your existence since you can remember. Absolutely. It is really sad. Absolutely. So I know it's complicated and there's so many factors that contribute to these attitudes that we have. But looking back, do you feel like you can sort of pinpoint some of the influences that led to that sort of aha moment that you decided you you weren't, you know, worthy at that size? Yeah, so the aha moments that led me to believe that I wasn't worthy, I think um, just observing, you know, we have so many messages around us. I used to get Seventeen Magazine, which I absolutely loved, but every girl and woman in that magazine was tall and thin and they were everything that I wasn't. You know, I watched my own mother struggle with her um, weight and, you know, being on a diet one day and then not on a diet the next day. It seemed like it was just all around me. And um, and and even in when, when I started middle school, Um, which was right around the time where I first discovered that, you know, I had a weight problem, which in retrospect wasn't true. Um, you know, it was just the, the teasing of the boys and, uh, and the girls in, in seventh and eighth grade. So it was like coming from all angles for me. Isn't it interesting too, that it's, it's kind of affirmed by everyone around us because society says that it's a good thing to diet. And our peers, did you get any sort of response when you started to do these different, you know, diets and things like that? How did people react around you? So, of course, you know, when someone loses weight, they are celebrated. You know, it's like, oh, my God, you look so great. But and and then you start to and then that just (laughs) reinforces the message Mm -hmm. that thinner is better because you know, these people weren't making a big deal about me 20 pounds ago. Now I'm all the rage, <laughs> but yeah. it, it's just, it, it, it just re- it reinforces the notion, which is really a lie that you are better when you are thinner. And, um, I've had several episodes of that. And then of course, when you start to gain the weight back, everybody is silent or some people even have the nerve to make a comment about it. Yeah. So Yeah, that is, it's so sad that that happens. And that's one thing that I would love for anyone listening, because I think sometimes it's very, people have good intentions, you know, when they're complimenting weight loss. And it can be really, really hurtful, you know, and I think that that's an important message. And one thing, having gone through an eating disorder and healed from it, one thing that I love, a gift of recovery is I don't look at people and, and it doesn't even cross my mind to think about their their size. I mean, we see people, obviously, it's not like we don't see them, but we don't judge people by those means. And we're not thinking about the numbers and all that stuff. And I know you've written about the terminology that we use and 
the you said that you've been on the receiving side of people shunning you. How important is the language that we use to talk about other people? Mm-hmm. So I love words, and um, I firmly believe that words matter. And, you know, I, I heard your interview with Dawn Sarah a, a little while ago, and you guys were talking about the use of the term fat. I think you had asked her about that. Yeah. And um, that had been a struggle. Like, you know, in our culture, being fat is the worst thing you can be. When someone says, you know, oh, I, I, I look fat, and your friend says to you, no, you're beautiful, because in our world, Fat is the opposite of beautiful. It can't possibly be beautiful. So one of the um, one of the things I've sort of brought into my own life is neutralizing the word fat because we have so many um, euphemisms for it because it is associated with such negativity. When in reality, it's simply a descriptor. And um, I think being aware of of the words we use and how we use them is critical to how we help people change their thinking around um, women, especially, and body image. Absolutely. I love that idea, neutralizing the word fat, because you may recall from the interview, I felt uncomfortable even even, you know, Dawn uses the word fat to describe herself. And I had trouble calling her a fat person because I've so worked to completely take away anything that talks about someone's size. So I don't call someone thin. I don't call someone fat. And uh, it's it's so complicated. And I think neutralizing is a really interesting concept. How do we go about that? What is that like for you? <laughs> well, you know what, August, this you're right. This is um, it's a very complicated and multi-layered issue because it is so ingrained in our culture and the messages that we've heard since we were little girls and even little boys and continue to hear have become very internalized. The one thing that has helped me, honestly, and it is an ongoing process, is questioning the messages and the beliefs, the messages that I hear in society, and the beliefs that I've held about myself and about people in general, but particularly as it relates to a person's size or even appearance. Because... um, I start from the place of, of believing that we all, all of us, all human beings are worthy of love and respect and effort. And in our society, that is not the general consensus. There are certain people who are worthy of certain resources, worthy of beauty, of success, of love, while others aren't. So for me to get to that place of neutrality, I've really had to to think of every human being that I encounter as someone who is worthy. And um, that has helped me tremendously because then I'm, I am not tempted to judge them solely based on their appearance. I love that. Yes. When we think of people's worth, that is so much more important. Absolutely. And, and life-changing really. Speaking of which, so your healing process, I know it, it takes time and it takes many different efforts and approaching it from all different levels, but specifically from the compulsive dieting, because I think that is such a, it's this epidemic that is so socially acceptable that so often people just kind of never get fully off of it. So I would love to hear you speak about getting off that sort of on and off diet train. 
Oh, absolutely. So, you know, like I said, I started when I was 11 and just a series. I've tried everything. Weight Watchers, Atkins, Zone. I, I don't think I ever got to South Beach, but just eat starve, general starvation diets, not eating, over-exercising. I've done all of those things. And in 2011, I decided that I wanted to train for a figure or fitness competition. And of course, my main um, objective of doing that was to lose weight, I have to admit. Um, And so that was my primary objective. My secondary objective was I had always been interested in bodybuilding since I was a little girl. My dad had bodybuilding magazines and I thought it would be fun to be on stage and doing all that stuff. But, you know, it was during my time as a figure competitor, I I trained and performed um, from 2011 to 2014. And for those who aren't familiar with what a figure competition is, it's it's when um, it's sort of like a, a Miss America pageant with muscles. So we get all lean and ripped and We wear these sparkly swimsuits that you can't swim in and we're like oiled down with tanning lotion and just everything. And we're on stage and it's, it's basically a competition that where we get judged on our physique and, and stage presence. And so you have, there's a, a great amount of discipline and dieting and working out to get to that point. And in a lot of instances, unfortunately, women and men end up um, with significant cases of disordered eating or even actual eating disorders as a result of participating in this. It happens far too frequently. However, in my case, it is the thing that led me to this message that I share with the world right now because I real I had a couple of realizations. One, I realized that I didn't have to starve myself to lose weight. And I'll, I'll tell you what I mean by that. Um, thank God I had a great coach during that process. And in all of my previous weight loss attempts, I was always cutting calories. You know, I was always at the, trying to get to the 1200 calories a day number. And once I started to train for this figure competition, I was eating so much food. And I even asked my coach one day, like, am I doing this right? Cause I seem to be eating a heck of a lot of food. And so I realized, you know, if I don't have to literally starve myself for months to get to this lean physique that is not compatible with real life, then you know what? Maybe I don't need to starve myself in real life either. So that was my number one lesson. My second lesson was I had always been chasing um, this magical number of 125 pounds because I'm five, two and a half, five, three on a good day. And so all the charts tell me I should be between like 110 and, and 120, 125. And during my fitness competitions, my stage weight, the weight, again, that is not compatible with real life where I'm just completely ripped and dehydrated was close to that. And then I realized, you know what? There's no way my body can healthfully maintain 125 pounds. So I abandoned that. So that was my second lesson. The second lesson was the ideal weight that I thought was my ideal weight actually wasn't. Mm. And then I think the third and most important lesson um, for me, and I share this with everyone, is that my life did not automatically and magically become better simply because I was thinner. 
Mm-hmm. You know, having visible abs does not pay any bills. <laughs> it, does not, it does not console you when you've broken up with your boyfriend. Like none of it didn't do any of those things for me. And so, you know, I, I realized that, wow, this, you know, the message is to us that, you know, there's like this pot of gold on the other side of this rainbow of thinness. And it just isn't there. It just is not there. So that's that was a big part of my healing process. And during that time, I also started. I got a I got certified in um, wellness coaching, and I started to coach other women, and just seeing the struggles that other women um, were going through helped me in my process. And and what I will say is that this um, recovery or healing process from constant dieting does not happen overnight. And it is, it is really hard. Mm-hmm. I think it, it, uh, it makes you question who you are as a human being. It makes you question a lot of things that, and, and a lot of beliefs that we've held on to for a long time. It, it is a process as you probably know. Yes. Such excellent points throughout all of that. I loved what you said about you know, realizing that really your ideal weight was not your ideal weight, because I think in our culture, we tend to gravitate towards some kind of way of grading our self-worth. Like if I can get to this number, then that must mean I'm going to be beautiful and happy and and have everything that I want. And it doesn't work that way. And I'm, I'm curious, what other sort of ways would you recommend to somebody who only knows to assess their own worth and their progress in life by the scale and and numbers and inches and all of that stuff mm-hmm. as an alternate because it it seems to me like we, you know we have to find something else <laughs> you know it's it's hard to give one up without having something more positive to focus on yeah you know for me it became about um contributing to the world. Like this work that I do has helped me to help other women. And honestly, um, so, you know, this, how do I say this? So contribute, taking on something bigger than yourself, right? Because for so long, my body was like my mission. My body was my project. I couldn't really bring my head up above water to do anything else or focus on anything else other than that. And once I started to heal and um, help other women, I just like life just became about more than that for me. You know, I think how can you contribute to this world before you leave? And it doesn't even have to be like a big thing, but what is it that you'd like to leave behind? What do you want your life to mean? When you look back, do you want it to just be about how many calories you were able to cut or how many times you were able to cut carbs or go to the gym? And you know, that's no judgment. It's just, what is it? You have the power to decide, how do I want my life to be? So contributing to the world in a, in a meaningful way is, it sounds really big, but it doesn't even have to be. It could just be, you know, something that you do in your own life with your own family. I love that, especially because we only have so much time and energy. And what you said was so telling about my body was my project. I think most women probably relate to that at some point in their lives where it is kind of their passion, but it's not 
a fulfilling, fun passion. It's become, <laughs> it might be at the beginning. Like I've compared yeah. it to um, dating somebody that is not good for you, where at the beginning, they're like really, you know, there's all these chemicals floating around and you're so excited and it's this new love. And then very quickly yes. it starts to control you. And so yes. I love that idea of turning it around instead of how can I fix me is how can I contribute to the world? That's, yeah. that's huge. You know, the other thing, the other part of that, which I think is the bigger part, is that when you have your body as your project and you're constantly trying to lose weight, I know for me and the the ladies that I've worked with, you sort of disrupt the connection between the, the connection with your true self. Like you, I didn't really know who I was as a person, if that even makes sense. Like I was so focused on my exterior. I wasn't really aware of what it was that made me Melissa. But now through this healing process and helping other women and being of service, I'm like, there's things about me that I have learned that I didn't know 10 years ago, definitely not 20 years ago. And these things that I've learned about me make me just love myself, love mm. myself. So I think that's the other benefit of this is that it helps you to restore the connection with your true self. I love that. And I love that that's, it comes as the byproduct. It's like yes. you put yourself, you shift your energy towards the positive and the end result is actually love yourself. And don't you feel so much more physically beautiful when you're happy? Absolutely. I feel free. I feel physically beautiful. I just feel, and of course it's not all, and I don't want to, to make it seem like it's all rainbows and unicorn. Cause I, you know, I am a real person with a real life with real problems, but I, I don't wake up every morning with the intent of hating myself or hating my body and embarking on a plan to fix it. It mm -hmm. is a sense of freedom and beauty and power and personal power that I feel. Yes, absolutely. And it, is so evident in your voice, in your energy, in your work, in your beautiful website, melissatoller.com. You really get that vivacious energy and it's it's just so it's contagious. I love it. It's it's beautiful. And I have to <laughs> Thank ask you. because this is Girl Boner and because we love to talk about how all these issues affect not only our our relationships with our emotional selves and others, but how it affects our sex lives and our intimacy. How did your own journey affect how you felt about your sexuality? Oh, well, you know, when you aren't happy with or feel comfortable in your own skin, it becomes really difficult to want to be intimate or physically close to another person. And especially when you believe the size of your body is closely tied to your lovability and your worth as a human being. So, you know, there were instances where I would hold off on going on dates because of I was didn't lose enough weight or I didn't allow my boyfriend to touch me because I didn't want him to see my back rolls. Like it 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 can be a major barrier in your life and it was for me. It absolutely was. And I love that you've you've turned that around and it sounds like it's another form of self-compassion, you know, it bleeds into all areas of our lives. And I'd love to hear if you have any other tips for people in addition to shifting the energy to what can I contribute? What are some of the ways that you encourage people to do to cultivate self-compassion and self-acceptance? Yeah, you know, um, we 
tend to believe that negative self-talk is a great motivator and it is absolutely not. I think we can all look back on our own personal journeys and think back to when we've criticized ourselves. And, and honestly, I can't tie any of my negative criticism to any result that I've wanted. So you self-compassion is huge. And, um, one of the ways that I've been able to cultivate that is, Speaking to my, like, first of all, being aware of the conversations that I have in my head, right? Because when you're aware of the way that you speak to yourself, like, that's the voice you hear all day. When you're aware of, once you're aware of that, you can start to change it. So being aware of the negative voice in your head. Number two, like, once you're aware of that, start to shift that voice and um, speak to yourself as if you are speaking to someone you care about. I have two little nieces that I love. And some of the ways that I used to speak to myself in my head, I would never, ever, ever, ever speak to them that way. Mm. And, um, I realize I'm worthy of the same compassion and love that they are. We're, we're no different. So, I think the it starts with you as an individual and being aware of the conversations that you have with yourself and working, practicing. Practicing is huge. Practicing to shift those into a more neutral, it doesn't have to be positive, but just a more neutral tone. Mm, again, that word is so important. I think it applies to food too. I remember when it started to shift for me from neutral or to become more neutral from food was like my lover and my enemy and it was never mm-hmm. neutral. And <laughs> now I can enjoy it, but never in a million years would I ever have believed that I would get to a place where I'm like, my relationship with food is kind of neutral, which sounds boring, but it's actually not. It's like you can enjoy it, but you're not sitting here thinking about when you last ate, when you're next going to eat, how much you should yeah. or shouldn't have, how you're going to, quote, compensate, which you you should never do and you can't really. You know, it's yep. that is yep. so, so interesting. And I love the idea of, you know, looking within and because it can be really startling. I remember the first time I tracked my negative thoughts and it's scary to look in there. You know, what was that like for you oh, when, yeah. when you started to notice your own negative thoughts? Did you was that something you proactively worked on right away? It wasn't something that I proactively worked on right away. Honestly, I started to do that as I started my coaching. Like once I got into wellness coaching and learned about empathy and compassion, I was like, holy smokes, I'm going to have to really do some internal work myself. Mm. And, and you know, it's scary, right? It is, it's a scary place to go. Um, your own thoughts, especially when you've done a lot of things to avoid them. So, you know, the temptation initially can be to just like, you know what, I don't want to do this. But I'm telling you, it is worth the dive into your own brain and your own feelings. Mm-hmm. It just, it, I, I can't even describe it. I'm sure you, you probably feel the same way. Like the feeling of being aware of, of your own thoughts and how your thoughts are controlling you and how influence your thoughts are by the world around you. Like some of them aren't even our own voices that we're hearing. This is the voices of our mothers telling us that we need to lose 20 pounds before we wear a swimsuit. Or it's the voices of a teacher who told you that you were overweight. Or it's the voice of an old lover who said, well, I don't feel attracted to you since you've put on weight. 
So, you know, it's, it's a lot of self exploration, which is frightening. And, um, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's a rewarding process in the end. And I encourage people to get help and guidance with that process because it is hard to do it alone. Yes. Amen. It is incredibly hard and it can be so daunting. And it also sometimes feel like, you know, futile because you think, okay, I had 17,000 negative thoughts or whatever the number is, but you know, not that you need to track Mm -hmm. them, but like you had so many and you think if I really start saying to myself, you're worthy, you're beautiful, you, you deserve joy, all these, you know, you are capable. Is that, it can seem like it's this cheesy thing that's not really going to have an impact, especially when you don't believe it yet. You know, it's like, that whole fake it till you make it thing. But the awareness goes a long way. Once you are aware, how do you start changing? Do you do you feel like you once you're aware, you can kind of just talk back to it? Or what are some of the steps we can take? <laughs> yeah, so you're right about going from, you know, I hate myself to, oh my God, I'm in love with myself. Like that just doesn't happen overnight in a believable way for a lot of people. Um, but... <laughs> What I've done, what I think helps a lot is detoxing your surroundings. So um, I always encourage people to um, unsubscribe, unfollow from magazines, websites, social media pages that reinforce the negative voices in your head. So when you're aware of when you get triggered, so it might be, so I used to get triggered by just looking at like fitness um, magazines, right? Like I open up shape and I'm like, oh my God, I'm like failing at being thin. And, and that just started the, the negative talk train. And so detoxing, like having a big information detox is, huge in helping to, um, quiet those negative voices. And also, um, just being very neutral with yourself, like, especially with your body. So if you're someone who goes around and I used to hate my arms because I thought they were too fat. So, you know, the likelihood of me saying I hate my arms on Monday and then I love them on Wednesday is very low. But instead, making a neutral statement to myself, like, you know what, my arms helped me carry in the groceries today. It's factual. You know, it's on the side of positive. It's not judgmental. And it just it also eventually helped me to appreciate the parts of my body that I didn't like. Mm, I love that because, like you said, it's a factual statement. You don't have to feel like you're being dishonest with yourself or you don't have to feel like you're saying something positive. And I think that's uncomfortable for people who are in that space of of self-loathing. It is hard. And I think, you know, and I'm all for body positivity and body acceptance. And but what I've heard from um, many women and some of my clients is, you know, the body positivity movement is awesome but some of them feel like it's just another thing that they're failing at. And I'm like, you don't have to go from super negative to a hundred and hundred percent positive. Neutral is perfectly fine. I'm taking notes on this because I just love what you absolutely, just what you just said was so great. And I feel like 
so many people probably relate to that. They hear body positive and they compare themselves to that, just what that term sounds like. Like, I positively love my body. And if you're not there, <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. Yes. That it's a journey. Yeah. And and wherever you are on your journey, there's there's no shame in that, especially because it's really not your fault. I mean, if you like you said, it could mm-hmm. be influences from when we were children and our parents modeled it or it's fitness magazines or it's the diet industry or it's the, you know, the models you're trying to shape yourself after. So, yeah, yeah, I think um, the good news is there are a lot of um, body neutral, um, body positive advocates and activists that like that community is growing Um but, you know, what I really strive to do in all of my work is to to let women know they have the freedom to do whatever they want with their bodies. Right. Like if you want to lose weight, you can lose weight. If you want to hate your body, you have the freedom to absolutely do that. Like, I don't want to come across as someone who's telling a woman this is how you should be. This is the right way to live your life, because we all like that. That just doesn't make sense. So I'm I try to be really careful about my message. And I want to make sure that people know women, especially because we're always told that we're doing something wrong <laughs> with our yes. bodies. Right. There's always something we should be doing or shouldn't be doing. And I don't want to add to that. I don't want to add to that mix. So I just my goal is to present an alternative. You know, if you are in a situation right now where you don't love your body and you don't feel comfortable in your own skin and you don't feel like you're living the life you want to live because of that and you want to change but you aren't sure how then I'm the person for you like that's I'm not trying to force people to believe what I believe because we already have enough of that floating around the internet (laughs) so true I'm so glad you said that too because uh, later in the show in a bit I'm going to be sharing some Uh, signs that your diet lifestyle, the quote, healthy lifestyle is perhaps a risky fad diet. And whenever I present information like that, I'm always conscientious of, you know, saying knowledge is power, and you can do with it what you want. And Mm. it's it's not our choice. You know, I think it's, it's a fine line. Because on one hand, if we're marketed things that could potentially be hurtful to us and put our health at risk or whatever, it's good to know that, but that still doesn't mean that we get to make the decision for people or that we should judge people for being on a diet that we consider risky. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I see that a lot with some of my, I guess I'll call them colleagues who are also in the body positive arena. We're, we're just doing the same thing just in the, in reverse where we're judging people for whatever diet they've chosen to do. And, and I, I don't judge the person. I, I just, like you said, provide information about the diet and what it could or couldn't do. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a good message for people to just learn what you can and then make your choice. It's, it's no one else's decision, you know, quality sources and, and gut instinct and, and learn to trust yourself and all that. I would love to share how people can get in touch with you. What are the best ways we can learn more about your wonderful work? Oh, thank you. Yes. All of my work is at melissatoller.com. I have blogs and videos, um, like everything that I've ever written is there. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you. This has been awesome. Thank you for the opportunity to be on Girl Brown.
That was so much fun. Thanks again, Melissa. Today's Ask Dr. Megan Q comes from Rachel. She asked this, how does one have sex comfortably with a retroflexed uterus? Rachel, I love questions like this one because they help me learn so much, and they also help our listeners learn so much. So thank you, thank you for asking it. If any of y'all out there are wondering what is a retroflexed uterus, you are in luck. Check out what Dr. Megan had to say. Rachel, thanks for this question. Um, You know, a lot of women who have a retroflexed uterus, and for most women, um, they may not necessarily even know what that means. So essentially that means that the uterus is, it's tipped, um, and so we sort of also refer, refer to it as a tipped uterus. And women can have a one in three chance of that happening. And most women can go their entire lives being completely unaware. Um, and yet about 20% of women have, uh, symptoms and some of those symptoms can include pelvic pain, irregular menses, pain with sex, especially, uh, deep thrusting. And we'll get back to your question in comfortable positions, um, constipation or perhaps painful bowel movements. And, uh, some of these women may also have endometriosis or fibroids, and that sometimes can be even the cause for sort of the tilt of the uterus, which again, just so everyone knows, sits above the vagina and typically is positioned and, uh, sort of tipped toward the belly. But in this retro, um, it is actually, uh, sort of tipped toward the back or the sacrum, um, and so I think knowing that it's important to recognize most women actually prefer face-to-face positions. So like the missionary position uh, or the woman on top position as her favorites. And that other positions like rear entry, reverse cowgirl, or deep thrusting, again, are more likely to be uncomfortable or cause pain. So... I encourage you to sort of explore and experiment with your partner. Um, like I, again, I said, face to face, missionary, those positions are likely to be uh, a lot more comfortable for you. And that if you're having any of these other, uh, symptoms, uh, in general pelvic pain, um, or that sex isn't, is for you particularly painful, I would definitely follow up with your gynecologist. Um, she may or may not recommend, uh, seeing a pelvic floor specialist. Um, but I think importantly, it's recognizing play. I, I always say this, it's like really sort of be curious with your partner and figure out for you both, uh, you know, how do you guide the depth of penetration? How do you, um, you know, experiment with which positions ultimately feel best for you? I love that advice. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I hope it's helpful to you, Rachel. And if you're listening and you resonate with that, if you think, wow, you know, I'm having discomfort in any kind of way during sex. I love Dr. Megan's idea of incorporating play and really exploring and coming at sex and comfort from this playful, fun standpoint. I think that's really fabulous. We can all learn from that. For more from Dr. Megan, visit her website, greatlifegreatsex.com, and follow her on Twitter at Megan Fleming. PhD. I also received a question from blog reader Laura, who wrote this. My husband's on this plan that has high protein and almost no carbs. He's losing weight, but not as interested in sex. Could there be a correlation? I love this question too, Laura. It's a really common issue, actually. And the short answer is yes, there could definitely be a link. I can't say for sure because I don't know the specifics, but I thought I would share some general tips from another blog post I wrote last year that might help you and some others out because it gets really gray, this area of, is this a harmful diet or is this a lifestyle plan that's actually going to move my health further in a good direction? 
So the first sign is you have wretched breath. Yep, halitosis is the technical term. And this derives from an ultra-low carbohydrate or otherwise known as ketogenic diet. So without enough carbs in the body, you release these chemicals that stink up your breath. And actually, when I was working as a nutritionist, this is a little gross, but I could actually smell whether people were on a low-carb plan or not sometimes when they walked in the room. So it is one sign if you notice that your partner, you might not notice as much in yourself, although you could try, you could breathe into your hand, but there's like this strange pungent, unpleasant smell that happens. Number two, you're lethargic and grumpy. Any healthy lifestyle plan should not leave you feeling low in energy, even if they tell you that it's a, quote, healing crisis. I've heard that before. It's not. uh, From a scientific standpoint, you need to have enough energy to take care of your body, to have enough energy in your cells to function well, to sleep well, to have good moods, all this stuff. Now, certainly, if you're eating less than you were before, there'll be a decline in energy. And if your doctor has recommended that you, you know, reduce your energy intake a little bit, you want to make sure you don't do it so much that you're feeling unwell. That is really the sign there. And it really affects moods, too. If you're going around hungry all the time, cranky, irritable, low blood sugar, it's probably going in the wrong direction. Your metabolism might be slowing down for one thing. And then there are a lot more other problems that can interfere with your your relationships with other people, you know, and just how you feel on a day-to-day, moment-to-moment basis. Next sign, sleep is a problem. So the same chemicals that promote healthy moods and positive, you know, energy and all of that good stuff has a big impact on whether you're able to fall asleep, stay asleep, and have restful sleep. So especially consuming too few carbs or calories can make it really hard to snooze well. So you want to make sure that you're getting, you know, plenty of both of those things. Of course, in the best case scenario, your carbohydrates and calories are mostly coming from nutritious foods or mostly nutritious foods. But you can usually give yourself some wiggle room. Unless you have an intolerance or allergy, obviously you want to avoid those foods. But Remember, carbs, not a cuss word. (laughs) Next sign, you're prone to diarrhea, constipation, or kidney stones. Now, obviously, these can happen from other causes as well. But whenever high-protein diets get really popular, a whole lot of people with kidney stones end up in the ER. You can ask any doctor. So when you're having a lot of protein in your diet, and especially if you're also skimping on fiber-rich foods like legumes, beans and lentils, whole grains – you know, certain fruits and vegetables, all of that can keep your digestive system from functioning properly. So you want to make sure that you're getting balance, which is kind of this elusive weird word, right? But essentially, you want to make sure that you're not skimping in those areas. And if you are really unsure how much of each of those foods to get, you could talk to a dietitian who really understands it or another professional. Um, One kind of really simple rule of thumb, it's not an exact science, but it tends to work well, is if you picture your an average dinner plate, not like a gigantic one, but just a reasonable size one, and draw a visual line down the middle, fill half of it with vegetables and our fruits, one quarter of it with like a healthy starch, like a potato or whole grain pasta or brown rice, and then one quarter with a lean protein like fish or tofu or beans or even low-fat dairy products if you tolerate those. That can be a good way to just kind of get back on the balancing bandwagon, which is a good thing. 
Another sign is your sex life is suffering. Yes, diets do affect our sex lives hugely. They're often, again, nowadays, they're too high in protein and too low in either calories or carbs or sometimes fat, although fat is being a little bit more celebrated now. Something always comes in while the other thing goes out, and one thing's popular, one thing's not. And really, it all comes down to trying to get enough of all of those things. So if you're not getting enough healthy foods and a good balance, you're not getting good blood flow. And if you don't have blood flow into your girl boner, it's not going to be a girl boner. It's going to be flaccid. So just remember that feeding yourself well feeds your girl boner well. Okay. That's some of my favorite advice, as you can imagine. To learn how I and over 15 other women found our way to sexual empowerment and body embracement, including some stories about overcoming eating disorders, check out my book, Embraceable, Empowering Facts and True Stories About Women's Sexuality. It's available on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, and iTunes. You can also visit my website, augustmclaughlin.com, M-C-L-A-U-G-H-L-I-N.com. And you can find a direct link to the book purchasing outlets. You can also sign up for occasional news updates and all kinds of goodies. Uh, Subscribe to my blog if you like. And if you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a rating and a review. I so appreciate your support. Thank you for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.